0: What we've found is that the nervous system, even in the periphery, is a lot more plastic than we thought. So it's able to adapt and regrow.
1: Hello and welcome. You are listening to Uncut, the podcast about how to stay surgery free and live a healthy lifestyle. I'm Dr. Tom Padilla, owner of the Doctors of Physical Therapy. It's a clinic that leads the U.S. in helping adults over 30 to avoid surgery and drugs and live an active, healthy lifestyle. If you're looking for ways to maximize not only the years in your life, but the life in your years, you're in the right place. We are committed to delivering information that will help you live life today and for many, many years to come. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Uncut, the podcast about how to avoid surgery and live a long-lasting, healthy, active lifestyle filled with quality Today, I have a special guest with me, Dr. Morgan Massingale. She works with the Ethos Integrative Medicine team that we work with over here at the Doctors of Physical Therapy. I'm really excited to have her on. We work hand-in-hand with these people over at Ethos, these fine doctors, to help us when regenerative medicine is actually needed to help someone get over chronic low back pain for people who are trying to avoid back surgery and people who really want to uh, explore alternative options. So welcome, Dr. Morgan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you take a couple minutes to introduce yourself and let people know what uh, your background and and what you do. Sure, absolutely.
0: I came to naturopathic medicine uh, as a second career. So I am a naturopathic physician here at Ethos Integrative Medicine. And in my previous life, I worked in the pharmaceutical research industry. So I actually um, worked Mm -hmm. under an orthopedic surgeon and we did uh, pre- and post-surgical pain management studies primarily. So a lot of total knees, total hips, right? Because I have a very programmed kind of physical therapy afterwards. They have a very programmed outcome that is known, right? In terms of pain and that sort of thing. All of my experience there really led me down the path of naturopathic medicine because I found that drugs and surgery weren't necessarily <laughs> the best way to go, right? So mm-hmm. you know, four years of medical school, and then I ended up uh, falling in love with regenerative medicine. One of the things That is kind of a idiom that we have is, you know, you go into medicine to treat yourself or treat your loved ones. And that's really the case for me, especially. I have a uh, chronic ligament laxity problem. So I have a number of joint issues um, that first surfaced when I was about 17 years old, uh, when I quote unquote threw out my back, right? And no one could Mm -hmm. really tell me why. You know, that led me down the route of falling in love with regenerative medicine uh, through the process of going through medical school. Um, and ended up doing a two-year residency at the Neil Reardon Center for Regenerative Medicine at the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, which I know is a mouthful. (laughs) It's a lot of words, (laughs) right, all together. In that uh, two-year residency, I spent the majority of my training with um, Dr. Clee Bethel, who's an interventional pain specialist, focusing primarily on image-guided injections for back pain, so spine, um, lumbar, through cervical kind of a really unique path that got me to where I am and also a unique level of training within the naturopathic community. There's only been a couple of us that have you know, completed this residency program and have the advanced training to do spinal level injections with that image guidance. So I feel really privileged to have you know been able to do that and then now to join this practice that is really working in a model that I really enjoy.
1: That's awesome. I'd love it if you could... Um... Talk a little bit more about that moment when you, uh, when you realized that drugs and surgery weren't the best way to go. <laughs> what was the internal struggle oh, wow. that, that wow. caused you to up your life and change your career and focus? Yeah, it and was
0: actually a series of things that happened all right back to back. The primary investigator that I worked under had a spiel that he would give patients when they asked about why drugs in this country cost so much money. He explained that each drug that comes to market costs $1 billion in research and development. And for every one drug that comes to market, there's seven that fail. So you've got to think about, you know, these companies have to recoup all the money that they've spent, you know, investigating these things. And I found myself regurgitating that speech to a patient one day, and I was sickened with the words that came out of my mouth. I had Mm -hmm. gotten to a point where, you know, when you have patients in clinical research trials, you have a very thorough history that you're doing with these people because they have to you have to know and understand the interactions between drugs and what they're predisposed to and what their actual outcomes are. And they'd be on this laundry list of medications coming into these studies. And gosh, it was really disheartening because they'd be on one medication because they were having a side effect from the other medication that was given to them because they were on this third medication that really was treating a disease that they could have addressed with lifestyle changes and diet changes, but no one had ever talked to them about these things. We've gotten to a point in a lot of the allopathic model and allopathic care where I think a lot of times, one, there's a, there's a time factor within that model, but two, I think physicians and practitioners have gotten to a point where they just assume the patient doesn't want the other information or they assume that they won't make the changes. And so they make the decision for the patient. Um, I was shadowing an orthopedic surgeon when I was in medical school. They still have a lot more volume, right, that they're seeing and diagnosing. And I had just learned about regenerative medicine. He was assessing a shoulder, and we walked out of the room, and I kind of looked at him. I was like, hey, um, you know, I just learned about this thing called prolo. I think this patient, you know, with what's going on, might be a really good candidate for something like that. Are you, you know, aware? And he was like, Oh yeah, no, I know about Prolo and it probably would work well for him, but I don't think he'd be the kind of person that would pay for it. So I'm not gonna even bother. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the steroid shot. And that just reinforced, you know, that I had (laughs) done the right thing for my own my own moral conscience, kind of moving out of that that model. About a couple.
1: Well, you talked about a couple really good things there. Um, the the lifestyle change yeah. model, where you actually focus on helping people to go through long term changes that will end up not only helping their current condition but their future condition as well. The thing that you touched on there at the end was uh, the patient empowerment yeah. aspect, where um, I tell people all the time, you want to find a doctor that explains things to you and that uh, respects it when you ask questions and tries to explain things down to your level. So that way you can understand everything that they're doing to you and actually give you their options. Because I think that is a problem in a lot of medicine is that doctors make the decision for the clients.
0: Yeah, no, one of the principles of naturopathic medicine is docere. So doctor is teacher. That really speaks to me. And I think it's really important in the model that we work in is teaching your patient about their own health. There is a huge gap in knowledge in the general population of why diet matters when you have pain, why, you know, sitting at a desk um, <laughs> over a computer causes your back to hurt, why when you're looking at low back pain, assessing from the feet up is important. You know, those things I think we kind of take for granted after the, you know, amount of education and years of pounding this information into us that we've had right but it's really important not to forget that that is not common knowledge for people and it's really a huge part of what we do and it's an important part of what we do is making sure patients do understand that so that when you make suggestions of hey maybe you know changing up your diet a little bit or adding in this supplement or going to physical therapy or doing this injection they understand what it's treating what it's going to do and why that's important for them
1: in addition to setting the expectations for how we're going to know if it's going Absolutely. to work
0: or
1: not, yeah. what the next direction yeah. is if it doesn't. No,
0: being able to have a plan down the road and also being able to admit when you don't know. Staying within your wheelhouse of knowledge Huge. is really important. Yep. And I think yep. patients end up respecting you a lot more for that when you admit like, hey, I'm not sure, but I have a colleague that I can reach out to and find you some answers.
1: Right. I think at the root, people fear that they're going to be seen as less of an expert, right? But in reality, uh, when you have a team around you, that's what makes you a true expert. Awesome. I love that background that we've established there because lifestyle change and finding a doctor who actually cares about your lifestyle and your goals is a huge part to actually avoiding surgery and living a long, active, healthy lifestyle. And in addition to that, there are things that if people have been suffering with chronic pain, back pain, that regenerative mes- medicine can help a lot. And I think the best place for us to go so that people can get a good foundation yeah. for what is currently used to treat back pain, and then we can get into how regenerative medicine fits sure. into the fold. If you can talk about a few of the mm-hmm. causes that that you see as culprits sure. of low back so, pain.
0: I mean, you know, and <laughs> uh, the <laughs> Physicians out there and you know doctors out there will understand that there's so many different causes of back pain and it's multifactorial in the way that you have to approach it. But some of the three or the three main causes that I see that pop up a lot in my practice first is um, sacroiliac joint dysfunction. We had a kind of running joke in my residency program that it Low back pain was the SI joint until proven otherwise. Because of where that joint is and the static and dynamic stabilizers in that area, so static stabilizers being your you know, um, ligaments, um, your tendons, things that kind of hold the joint together, um, and mm-hmm. dynamic stabilizers being your muscles in that area, the way that they all play together. When that joint becomes unstable, so let's say commonly uh, people that are sitting all day under high stress, chronic high stress actually will cause ligament laxity because you're no longer metabolizing sugar correctly. um, And so you're no longer repairing tissue um, appropriately. And you do find a lot of ligament laxity and joint dysfunction kind of as a trickle down from from high stress situations chronically. And then pair that together with someone that's sitting at a desk all day, putting that joint as more weight-bearing in a different way than, you know, someone who's active and on their feet. Um, And also, you're misappropriately uh, using those muscles, right? You're shortening your psoas and all of your flexors and your hips and you're lengthening your glutes and, you know, all your posterior chain. It really leaves that joint at a disadvantage. When it becomes irritated, the muscles in the areas you know, will kind of clamp down and cause some of the kind of radiating symptoms that we see with sacroiliac dysfunction a lot of times patients will come in and have this confused under that catch-all phrase that we kind of hate in this line of work of sciatica, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Not truly sciatica, and that's a whole other topic. So yeah, that's a lot of times what I see is that band-like pain in the low back, sometimes with radiating symptoms down the leg, sacroiliac dysfunction can be really um, indicated in that. The second thing I see commonly is facet arthropathy in the mm-hmm. lumbar spine because of the nerves that kind of innervate that joint capsule being the medial branches there and the way that they um, come back into the spine really closely there at, the, at that level. Again, you have that low back pain that has radiating type symptoms. So you'll get weird pat- patterns of um, numbness, tingling, burning sensation into the leg. Also mm-hmm. uh, highly misdiagnosed in that sciatica uh, catch-all phrase. And then lastly, I see a lot of superficial nerve entrapment that's Mm -hmm. not caught Mm -hmm. and not diagnosed um, in patients with low back pain, uh, specifically the superior and the middle cluneal nerves. They run under the skin, uh, so between the skin and the deeper muscle layer um, in that fascial uh, layer there. And when nerves become entrapped, they become angry and irritated and swollen, and they send pain signals. And being in the location that they are, um, right over that SI joint area, being in the low back, Um, A lot of times that's kind of overlooked um, because it's something that's not allopathically treated. And that's one of the things I find patients that have come from that model. When you only have a certain set of tools to work with, you don't look for things that you can't treat. So I think a lot of times diagnoses are overlooked because they don't necessarily have a way to address it. You You more heavily rely on imaging or, you know, things like that, that, lead to things that you can address with, you know, some of your more typical allopathic model uh, treatments like Like surgery. surgery. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Which leaves patients frustrated at the end of the day, because even if the doctor says, well, you're not a candidate for surgery, but I can't help you. um, And they've tried everything else. A lot of the times they can be frustrated that it seems like, wow, I must be really messed up if even surgery can't fix my issue and nothing's appeared on the MRI and the surgeon won't cut into me. And I've tried physical therapy and chiropractic and mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. What are some of the typical approaches that uh, would be used to treat a so lot of this pain? So you have your
0: more conservative methods like um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that really should mm-hmm. be the first mm-hmm. line that um, anyone is looking at, whether it's your primary care doctor that you've gone to or your orthopedic surgeon. So that would be like your ibuprofen, Aleve. Um, if you want to go the prescription route, you're looking at like meloxicam, naprosin, things like that. Short-term, you know great. They bring down inflammation. Um, absolutely, they're good at what they do. When you're relying mm-hmm. on those types of drugs long-term, you run into other issues, um, like problems with your GI system. Um, ulcers oh. are a very common side effect of uh, long-term use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. What's considered long-term? What's considered so long-term? anything more than like three to six months, really. Mm-hmm. What else? Opioids, what else? Opioids yep. I think, Opioids, is something you mentioned. Next right? on That's the list. That's something you love to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> comes with its whole... A world of problems, right? Again, you know, their treatments are there for a reason, and they have their time and place. Um, Opiate medications should really only be used for a couple weeks. If you haven't addressed the issue within that time frame, you need to be looking for something else. Addiction addiction. problems, absolutely. I mean, we have the raging opioid epidemic, which still is you know wildly out of control. These drugs Mm -hmm. are not only mentally kind of soothing and appeal to that addictive nature that some people have, but they are also physiologically addictive. So you need increasing Mm -hmm. doses of opioid medications the longer that you've been on them because your body becomes habituated to that medication. Another thing Mm -hmm. I see with patients that have been on long-term opioids is that the body actually starts putting out more pain fibers and more pain receptors. So they become in sensitized. To to, in order to try to yeah. sense the pain? They become sensitized yeah. to pain. And so when you're doing procedures on these types of patients, um, they'll be a lot more sensitive to you know the needle poke or the manipulation or whatever it is, which is a really interesting phenomenon that you see.
1: Not to mention that, Opioids, even with coming off of them, can sometimes be what patients will describe it can be as painful. a very
0: painful process because of that sensitization issue. And also, God, your body has become reliant on on this this medication and it has forgotten kind of how to appropriately work without it. And the withdrawal mm-hmm. of opioids is it's a difficult process and is something that should definitely be medically managed if you are choosing to go that route. Yeah,
1: it's like a pain yeah. all of its own. Oh. What about steroids and or um, like ablation? Yeah, so
0: steroid injections are, again, you know, they have their time and place. But when you're looking at injecting a tissue, typically you're injecting it because it's causing pain. um, And it's usually causing pain because either it's not functioning properly or it's started to kind of wear out. Steroids, while they're very good at bringing down inflammation, especially in acute situations, they actually worsen the problem of tissue degradation. So if you have any experience with actually receiving steroid injections, you know that you're limited to a certain number in a year, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people Mm -hmm. think, and rightly so, that insurance will only pay for a certain number. And the reason is because they know it causes tissue damage
1: more significant. Absolutely.
0: And that's in conjunction with the short-term issues that you see with steroid injections, which include blood sugar dysregulation. So if you have a person who's diabetic that receives um, a steroid injection, their sugars will be wildly out of control for Mm -hmm. at least a few days Mm -hmm. after they receive those types of injections. So like I said, time and place, but a lot of things to think about in that risk benefit weighing that you have with any procedure. Right.
1: Right. And I feel like a lot of the people don't even receive that a little bit of information or
0: education no. that, that yeah, that's why. Absolutely. right And then you actually kind of touched on ablations, right? And so I mm-hmm. see patients um, a lot, they come in for medial branch ablations. So someone's done the work and they found that their pain is coming from around that facet. So the facet joint capsule is actually innervated by the medial branches. It's an interesting phenomenon that we see. If something hurts or something isn't functioning correctly, let's cut it out, right?
1: Right. <laughs> like if your card... How to check engine light go on? Yeah, you just, just you know,
0: it. rip the engine yeah. out. That'll solve it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. But um, you see that a lot in in allopathic medicine. You know, you have women who have a very heavy menstrual periods. Let's just cut out your uterus. Oh, but oh, okay. Um, so mm-hmm. in that so, same vein, with ablations, you know, they've identified the nerve that's sending the pain signal. Let's just go burn it out. There's uh-huh. a number of issues here. Yes. It, yeah, right? that. yeah, It right? absolutely does turn off that pain signal. When you kill a nerve, it's no longer sending that message up mm-hmm. to the brain. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's also not doing the other functions that it was doing. Specifically with those medial branches, those also innervate those um, multifidi muscles in the spine that create that, you know, small rotational movement that allows us to stabilize when we're doing small activities, right? And then your larger muscles have to pick up the slack and they're doing a lot more Mm -hmm. work than they were ever intended to do. And then you also have the issue of neuroplasticity. For a long time, we thought that once something happened in the nervous system, that's it, it's done. You cut a nerve, it's dead forever, never coming back. What we've found is that the nervous system, especially, or even in the periphery, is a lot more plastic than we thought. So it's able to adapt and regrow and grow new tendrils of nerve roots, which is incredible, right? Mm to think mm-hmm. about, it's awesome. but it makes procedures like ablations become temporary. Then right. you've burned out right. that nerve and the body's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa wait, <laughs> I needed to send messages <laughs> to, send to this message. area. I'm going to build a workaround now. Problem there too, is that when you throw out those new nerves, they may not be in the correct track because now they're having to track around scar tissue. They're having to track around deficits. They're having to relearn the neuromuscular pathway so it's not as effective and as efficient as what was originally there necessarily.
1: Yeah, and a lot of times I think that uh, that the multifidi not being active <laughs> is one of the root causes of that Absolutely. or the, that low back pain in the first place. So you're turning off the muscle that the reason it's off is is actually causing you to have back pain in the first place. So it just leads to that circular getting worse and worse and worse. And people get frustrated, but they stop mm-hmm. working. Yeah. Right. It's uh, It makes me think of... Uh, the whole Botox under in the uh-huh. sub-occiput yeah. area to uh, decrease the muscular tension on your occipital mm-hmm. nerves, and uh, you know then you're going to get muscle atrophy and mm-hmm. wasting in that area. And how are you going to compensate for that? You know, <laughs> you know, by using your upper traps, <laughs> your upper traps yeah, to support yeah. your neck. Probably, and, you
0: know, it, the same thing as with the steroid injections. Patients who are having these ablative type surgeries aren't necessarily informed of the risks and that these procedures carry. I had a patient come in that was a 17-year-old that had had a a PARS fracture, so a a spinal fracture, and she was having pain. And she had seen a surgeon, and they were like, yeah, we'll just do an ablation in that area. 17 years old, and they're going to burn out your nerves and leave you Mm -hmm. to be actually more predisposed to further injury. And she had no idea that that was even a risk. Mom, obviously... Had brought her in and didn't want uh, the surgical ablative route and was looking for other options, and was just reinforced when they kind of found that that was a risk factor uh, mm-hmm. that had not never mm-hmm. been discussed with them.
1: That's there's yeah, that's there's multiple uh, issues with that. I mean, one uh, is if you have a hammer, everything yes, looks like a nail, right? Yes, if absolutely. you consult a surgeon, a surgeon's yeah. going to want to cut, yeah. or whoever you are consulting. But also that just going back to that patient empowerment thing, right? The, the actually educating people about mm-hmm. their options and letting choose. them choose rather than thinking that you know yeah. what's best for them as, the, as yeah, a Yeah,
0: I think that's a dynamic that's really shifted in the medical field in the last you know 10 to 15 years. We still have this thought of the physician that knows everything, knows best, and should just do what they want, right? Doc, mm-hmm. you're in charge. Just make me better. We really need to shift away from that. And I think it's happening at a variety of levels because we aren't God. <laughs> I know I have some colleagues mm-hmm. that think they are, but, you know, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. we're not. Uh, we don't have all mm-hmm. the answers. And we really need to find what's going to work best for the patient and the patient's lifestyle.
1: Absolutely. There must be another way. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we didn't even
0: talk about surgery. The uh, so let's start.
1: Oh, we did. Yeah, we did. And <laughs> the final
0: option, the yeah. Final
1: option. Yeah, yeah, surgery. surgery. So uh, surgery. let's let's talk about surgery and see um, what. How often have you ever referred a patient to surgery? I have referred
0: a couple patients for surgical consult. It's few and far between, honestly. I think if the patient is willing to do the work, um, because I'm going to be real honest, regenerative medicine and lifestyle medicine is work. It's not something that you're just gonna sit back and it happens to you. Patients get better and they're able to get back to the things they love. You know, one of the things that you have to to know about surgery and surgical options, because it is kind of overprescribed, if that's the right term to use there, the outcomes aren't great. The published outcomes for, you know, low back surgery uh, is 50% success rate. And, you know, you have to think of what does success mean when in those studies, right? Success means resolution of pain. But is that successful for your patient? Is that truly what they're looking for? Or are they looking for, you know, getting back to being able to lift their, their granddaughter up? Are they wanting to get back to horseback riding? Are they wanting to get back to golfing? What is their goal? What is their good outcome? Mm-hmm. Um, and that mm-hmm. is hugely important.
1: Absolutely. I think a 50% success rate as the standard means <laughs> yeah. that means that a surgeon who is performing at a 55% would be considered top yeah. of his field. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> which is a yeah. scary thing. You know, I would have to agree it. We've sent so few people to surgery. There are there are cases in which it is needed when there are significant bilateral neurologic yes. issues caused by a, a central canal issue where the, you know, maybe the bone is encroaching on mm-hmm. the spinal cord. Absolutely. Right. But outside of that, your typical back pain, or it's hard to say the back pain is typical, <laughs> but all, all back pain, even if it behaves differently, has roots in just the muscular system and the musculoskeletal system, and the neuromuscular system not functioning right. correctly. And if we can restore yeah. those things to, to correctness without having to lay you on a table, slice you open and cut through muscles mm-hmm. to, to relieve whatever pain you're having... And even then, if it's only 50% success rate, that's, uh seems to be yes. a better way. Yeah. Right? So can we talk a little bit about prolotherapy, about the different things that we can do for
0: the, the yeah, low back Yeah, absolutely. Pain? Is, um,
1: what conditions would we use
0: prolotherapy? So prolotherapy in? is best used to address those static stabilizers that we talked about earlier. So the ligaments in an area or the tendinous um, attachment uh, to a bone of a muscle. Because what prolotherapy does is it goes in and it activates fibroblasts in the tissue. So it tells them to um, put down more fibrin, make this tissue integrity better. So those are the, the tissues that that's really best served in.
1: We know that the SI joint has oh, a ton my of goodness. Ligaments all around Huge it, right? ligaments.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 70% of the pain fibers that contribute to pain and SI just dysfunction are actually in those ligaments. So wow. treating those ligaments is really important, especially with SIJ dysfunction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. I know you have some other tools yeah. under your belt. You want to yeah, those sure. A bit? Yeah. Prolotherapy yeah. itself is kind of an umbrella term. Uh, prolo okay. being short for okay. proliferative. Um, So you're trying right. to go in and make those tissues proliferate and regenerate mm-hmm. and heal. Kind of within our industry, that term prolotherapy has gotten synonymous with dextrose prolotherapy. And that's kind of what we just talked okay. about being best targeted for those ligaments, and thesis that sort of um, tissue. Within the umbrella term, you have kind of a higher level um, intervention of platelet-rich plasma. So that's actually where we take the patient's own blood, we spin it down, and we capture that portion of the blood that's most rich in growth factors okay. and uh, platelets. Okay. So again, it's really great at going in and stimulating tissue to heal. I really love application of PRP. Uh, again, for ligaments and tendons, it's great in those areas, but even better within joints themselves. Um, so if you yeah. have had, you know, a long-term issue with your spine where you've had degradation of those facet joints, being able to go in and put in a tiny bit of PRP into the joint itself and then treat the ligaments around, Those multifidy muscles, if they need it, and really get everything in that area healing and functioning, is really awesome. The highest level Mm -hmm. within that umbrella term of Prolo is stem cells. It's kind of a little soapbox issue for me. Um, The only thing that you can truly call stem cells is something that's derived from the patient's own body. Um, So, either from Mm -hmm. bone marrow or from adipose tissue, both are rich in stem cells. If you are purchasing a stem cell product, there are no live stem cells in there. It's really frustrating to see patients that have been sold a stem cell product um, that haven't received benefit because they kind of lose faith in regenerative medicine. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. a number of reasons that those treatments don't work, even though they are fairly pricey, right? Either you've gone to a place that I lovingly call a shop mill uh, where they come in, they look at your imaging and they shoot up that tissue. So they haven't Mm -hmm. actually found your pain generator, right? Or they're using a product that isn't very good at what it does. Um, it's still very rich in growth factors, even though there is no live stem cell there. But, you know, administering that inappropriately, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. And that's one of the things that I really love about working at Ethos is that I'm given the time to fully and appropriately assess a patient. And I've walked into a practice that has a great referral network, to practices like yours, Dr. Tom, where I can send a patient and know Thank that. You. Um, they're going to be appropriately assessed for physical therapy because that is a huge part of a treatment plan for a patient when they're undergoing regenerative medicine therapies. You have to prime that tissue before and after injection so that it's moving and working appropriately. And I can go in and just tweak some things. Another Mm -hmm. referral partner that we work with here is um, nutrition counseling. Systemic inflammation is huge in, in pain conditions. Um, Because of the way that we eat, the way that we don't sleep, the way that we use substances, um, there's just rampant inflammation going on in our bodies. I kind of like to describe injections as um, kind of a smoke signal, right? I'm going in and I'm very targetedly telling the body, hey, there's a problem right here. Um, Here's some tools to address it. Um, Let's heal this tissue, right? Right. But if it's a little smoke signal being sent up in the middle of a forest fire of raging systemic inflammation, that message isn't coming mm-hmm. through. Um, and so mm-hmm. cleaning up a lot of that stuff before a regenerative procedure is really important. And if you're going to a, a practice where they aren't assessing those things, they aren't addressing those things, you're going to pay for a very expensive shot and you're not giving it a shot
1: to work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, absolutely. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, that's yeah, frustrating. Absolutely. So so it seems like even when you're considering regenerative medicine, a lot of the times you are more so looking at some lifestyle modifications absolutely. in order to improve the effectiveness of regenerative yeah. medicine. Yeah, I mean, when
0: you end up with a facet arthropathy, it didn't happen overnight. And so I wouldn't be any better than you know a surgeon if the only thing I did was give you a shot and send you on your way. Um, it will help short-term, absolutely. But that problem will come back unless you address the reasons that you developed that problem.
1: Can you shed some light on uh, In my practice? A lot of the time we talk about yeah. multifidi and how the multifidi uh, are responsible for stabilizing mm-hmm. the spine and mm-hmm. they should be the muscles firing first before you perform any sort of movement. They're they're called anticipatory stabilizers for that reason. A lot of the time in our practice, once somebody has had chronic back pain for a really long period of time, um, their multifidi, over 85% of people have sh- Shown reduced cross-sectional yeah. area, increased adipose um, and increased uh, scar yeah. tissue uh, yeah. deposits in that in those muscles. I know you guys have a tool under your belt that allows you to yes. address this because in the individuals where these muscles are so hard to actually activate, and and you might even be looking at patients who have undergone several yeah. ablations, yeah, right. And it's yeah. the it's the result of their ablations that they've got so much adipose mm-hmm. and scar tissue buildup. What do you have that can help us to improve the activity of those muscles and help those to uh, do their job? So with
0: scar tissue, I love to get in there and do some hydros dissection. So just getting in with some fluid and breaking up that scar tissue so that as you get tissues moving, they can form those appropriate movement patterns and kind of restructure the collagen and the fibers in that area. In terms of the fatty infiltrates that you see in muscular tissue or even if you have um, you know a muscle belly tear, something like that, you can address that with applications with PPP so platelet poor plasma. So that same you know blood that we took to make the PRP you take that section off the top of the plasma, which is that clear portion when you spin blood down. And you can inject that into the muscle belly. In the earlier days of prolotherapy and regenerative medicine, uh, we were putting PRP into that area. And we've kind of shown through some longer-term studies that putting PRP into a muscle belly might not be the best way. Um, And the PPP, so platelet-poor plasma application, actually does a lot better helping to address those intramuscular um, issues.
1: Fascinating. Okay. So basically everything we've covered here... We've talked about the causes of low back pain. We've talked about how traditional medicine will focus on ablations, which turn the muscles off, steroid injections, which turn the pain signal off, opioids. We went down that path for a while, and surgery, and and its fifty percent effect uh, efficacy rate. And then we went into and we talked about where each of those things fall short, and we talked about how uh, Prolo can help reestablish ligamentous integrity, PRP can help establish joint integrity. PPP can help reestablish muscular integrity and how paraneural can be used to treat the nerves. So combined with a lot of the stuff that, that we do in physical therapy, when physical therapy is done right to help the, the whole body to uh, start acting in the right sequence in the right order and help the, the right muscular activations to be happening at the right time, it sounds like we should be able to get a pretty pretty well, good shot at getting to a closest new situation. I think that is a really
0: good assessment. <laughs>
1: Good as new. Good as new, good as yeah. new. Good as yeah, new is what I meant, right? Yeah. yeah. These are some fascinating tools. Um, I'm really excited to uh to have you as part of the team that we're able to refer
0: to over here. Happy at Ethos. to be here and I'm glad you uh, brought me on today.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else that you would uh that you'd like to let people know about? back pain, about their options, um, about finding a good doctor that will do the things that, that we've yeah, discussed today? Yeah, so
0: um, one of the things that a lot of practices do, um, and I know that we do here at Ethos, is um, free consults. Meeting your physician and making sure that you guys jive. Like That is a big deal in the therapeutic process. If you feel like you're being dictated to, if you feel like you're not being given all of your options... Go somewhere else. Like that, that is your right as a patient. Um, make sure that you feel empowered by your doctor, not put at a disadvantage. Really, be your own best advocate, and I think that's the biggest thing I can really encourage patients to do.
1: Hundred percent, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, Dr. Morgan, for uh, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, listeners, if you like this episode, be sure to like it, share it. Um, go over to dot uh, com where you can find the ethos athletes podcast and listen to a lot of the good content that they have over there. As always, you can find lots of great content on our own website, the doctorsofpt.com. You can head over to the blog section where we give a lot of helpful tips and information on how to understand what's going on in your own body. That way that when you go to to interview those practitioners that you may be uh, allowing to be your doctors in the future, you come armed with information and questions that can help you better empower yourself to be able to make a good decision when it comes to who is in your corner on your healthcare team. If you haven't already, please review our podcast, share it, let us know what other uh, questions you would like answered. And until next time, I hope you stay well and live life today.